We ready? Okay, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another working of miracles. To another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills Father, my prayer is simple. Help me be clear this morning. Help me speak this text and the larger topic clearly and with love and with understanding. And help us here as you work in each of us in your varying ways, to the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is week number eight in the series titled The Person and the Work of the Holy Spirit. This morning, here's the question. Are these gifts mentioned here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to be expected today in the church? Or were they only a first century phenomenon? And when the apostles passed away by the end of the first century, so did these giftings, particularly the sign gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, pass away. There are many spirit-filled Holy Spirit gifted believers and leaders in the church who fall on both sides of the issue. This is an in-house debate. This subject is not one of those subjects to divide over. To differ? Yes. But to say, I can't fellowship with you? No. And for me personally, this topic is not an easy issue. 
It's an emotional struggle for me in my life. Because if you were to draw a line in the sand and put all, here's, I'm going to use a couple words if you don't know them, put all those believers within the church today or who have ever existed the last 2,000 years, you put all those believers who are cessationists, who, that's from the word to cease, who believe that these gifts are not in operation today. You shouldn't expect them. They passed away at the end of the first century. You take all those believers and leaders who are on that side of the line and put them over, put them over here, put all the others who say, well, I, I don't see that, so I'm a, I'm a continuationist, a non-cessationist. I, I think that, I don't know why, we shouldn't expect these gifts somehow to be operating. You put them on the other side of the line and you say to me, Joe, you can only fellowship with one group or the other. You can only read the books of one group or the other. You can only, you can only be helped by one group or the other. It would be a very emotional issue for me because the vast majority of people uh, alive right now and dead who still speak to me through their books fall on the cessationist side. And yet that doesn't solve the issue for me. Because, as I look at the Bible, that's there. But here's the question I have to wrestle with. If, just okay, this is the question we're going to look at today. So, if those giftings are to be being experienced for love's sake, to help us love each other better in life and in the body of Christ, I just want to be really slow to say, oh no, don't expect them, don't even look for them, and don't seek them. Especially as a pastor to say, no, no, these, this toolbox of loving others, it's out of the picture. Don't worry about it. And yet, on the other hand, being someone who has come forth out of the charismatic movement, I am so aware of the craziness and the dangers of so many who take the idea of the continuation of gifts and build their lives in the churches and the Christianity on sand of experience instead of on the solid rock of God's holy, sure, inerrant, and only infallible Word. Scripture alone is the revelation. None of those things we read in 1 Corinthians 12 are. And I'm very aware that so many, I've watched it firsthand in my life a lot over 30 years, that so many take giftings and make them an idol. <laughs> that means replacing God with this type of Christianity and throw away their minds and their biblical bearings. And that stuff scares the living daylights out of me. For my own life and as a pastor, for those people who I impact. So what I want to do, the first part now is this. I want to try to do my best to represent the arguments on both sides in a general way, okay? A larger outline, okay? Okay, cessationist brothers and sisters, non-cessationist. Okay, why and why? Why do they say, okay? So first, cessationist, who basically are saying these gifts, like sign gifts, prophecy and 
gifts of working of miracles or gifts of healings or interpretation of tongues or tongues. Those kind of sign gifts that we read in 1 Corinthians 12, they are concluding those have ceased. The Holy Spirit is not doing that today. When Paul said to the Corinthians, seek these things, that that was for them for a particular time and a reason, but not right now. Why do they say that? Because when you look at the book of Acts, it seems as if Luke is trying to communicate to us very clearly that signs and wonders and miracles going on in the book of Acts were there in the apostles' ministry to authenticate their witness of the resurrection of Jesus, to authenticate their unique office of apostle. And when the last apostle died, therefore, signs and wonders and working of miracles, they also died out because they were there for the authentication of their unique office as eyewitnesses. So, for instance, if you have a Bible, you can either listen or go. I'm going to read a few texts. Acts chapter 2, verse 22, we read, Peter's preaching, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst. Okay, and we've been going through the book of Luke and we've seen this. But look at, see how Luke said it. God was attesting by the signs and the wonders and the miracles that Jesus was doing. He's the one. He's the Messiah. Okay? They're there to say, that's Him. Okay? Then, in the book of Acts, Luke goes on throughout the narrative showing the importance of signs and wonders in the apostles' ministries as authentication. For instance, in Acts chapter 2, verse 43... And awe, Luke says, awe, wonder, came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. He didn't say here, through, through just Christians running around. He said, through the apostles. You turn to Acts chapter 5. Verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Acts 14.3, Luke, you see he's got an idea in his head, right? Luke knows what he's doing. He's trying to communicate something. And this is about Paul and Barnabas, who are apostles. He writes in Acts 14.3, and so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. The Lord who bore witness to the word of grace by granting signs and wonders to be done by their, the apostles' hands. In Acts 15, verse 12, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them as apostles in their ministry to the Gentiles. So, 
The point is this. It seems as if Luke is very purposefully intending to show that signs and wonders were happening in the early church in the apostles' ministry to authenticate their message and their uniqueness as Jesus' personal sent ones who have witnessed not only His life, but His resurrection from the dead. And that's why as you read, we get... Eutychus falling out of a window. <laughs> and he's dead. And Paul goes down and he lays on top of him. And through Paul, the apostle, he's raised from the dead. That's why we get Peter and John, apostles, on the day, or not the day, that next week, by the temple, there's a lame guy. I mean, this is not like this crud you see on TV in so-called Christianity. This guy never walked he didn't like get around a little bit. He never walked. And he said, we don't have any money, but what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And this person who never walked all his life, not only walked, he leaped. Okay. This is what Luke's telling us. Okay. And so, I'm still, I'm a cessationist at the moment. Got it? That's what I'm arguing for. This is, okay, I want to be, this is how it goes. Now, to strengthen the argument, then you turn to 2 Corinthians. You go to 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul is arguing for his true apostleship, as opposed to a false apostleship. And he says this in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 12. Listen. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Okay, now you turn to Hebrews 2. When the writer to the Hebrews, the Jewish Christian is writing, at this point, Paul and Peter are dead. And he's going to say to these people, come on, don't you remember 20 years ago? They're flagging in their faith. Now, so listen to what he does. Pay attention. Chapter 2, I'll start with verse 1 of Hebrews. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message, got to get this, the gospel, the message declared by angels, it proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, excuse me, the law of Moses. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What salvation? The one that was declared at first by the Lord, Jesus. And then it was attested to us, had we get it, by those who heard Him. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So the Hebrew writer seems to say, do you remember back then? Remember those miracles and those signs that are happening? He seems to imply whatever that was in his mind are not happening when he's writing this letter. Doesn't it? In the last argument of cessationist church history, has there really ever been anyone with the actual gifts of healings and working of miracles like Paul or Peter had? 
you know those signs that are hung out on churches? Healing service, 6 p.m. on Sunday night. Trust me. And I've been around that stuff for years. It is nothing like Paul and Peter. The Benny Hens of the world could not hold a candle. You could prove Paul's miracles and Peter's. You ever try to prove the Benny Hens of the world when CBS, NBC go look at who is this person? Let's see their doctor report. They seem to always fail the test. 2,000 years of church history has shown, and this is where I agree with them, our praying for one another, our praying for healings for people, seem to be radically, categorically different than the signs and the wonders that were happening through the apostles. And finally... (laughs) Many cessationists who love the gospel, they look at TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network, Superstar Supernatural Ministry Joe, and they see the nuttiness, the craziness, and the blight on the gospel and the blight on the church that it gives. And I'm fully in line with them too. And I see it and I feel what they're saying. Let me just give you a taste then for a minute. I'm going to read a page extensively from one brother a cessationist, and he wrote a book. His name is John MacArthur. You know him, Silvana? Okay. He wrote a book that uh, I agree with most of this book, and it's called Charismatic Chaos. Okay. And so what I'm going to read here, I could say a lot, I'm agreeing with him what he says here. And this is the stuff that, that this other argument is going on a lot in the church. Quote, he writes, I received, this, is, this was 20 years ago when he wrote this, okay? He says, I received a tape. Look at that tapes, those things turn like that. Okay, right. <laughs> I received a tape of a message by one of these prophet pastors named James Ryle, pastor of the Boulder Valley Vineyard in central Colorado. Ryle described in detail some dreams of his which he took to be prophetic revelation from God. According to Ryle's dreams, God is getting ready to anoint Christian musicians with the same anointing that was given to the Beatles. He quotes a word from the Lord. Here, here's the word from the Lord that Ryle says he has. Quote, I, the Lord, called those four lads from Liverpool to myself. There was a call from God on their life. They were gifted by my hand, and it was I who anointed them, for I had a purpose, and the purpose was to usher in the charismatic renewal with musical revival around the world. End quote. MacArthur goes on. Well, what happened? Well, according to Ryle, God told him, quote, The four lads from Liverpool went AWOL and did not serve in my army. They served their own purposes and gave the gift to the other side. End quote. Ryle says God told him that in 1970 he lifted the anointing and he has held it in his hand since then. But he is about to release it again in the church. 
Ryle is young, well-educated and articulate, and he has preached about... Gotta get no, no, Not something in there. He has preached about his prophecy in numerous churches. Tapes of the messages are circulating internationally, and evidently thousands have received Ryle's prophecy as solemn truth from the Lord. One last short paragraph. MacArthur writes, The fact remains that since the canon of Scripture was completed, now just so you know where I'm coming from today, I fully agree with what you're going to hear here. The fact remains that since the canon of Scripture was completed, no genuine revival or orthodox movement has ever been led by people whose authority is based in any way on private revelation from God. Many groups have claimed to receive new revelation, but all of them have been fanatical, heretical, cultic, or fraudulent. Okay, I feel it. I mean, I can tell you stories of my own personal just watching. I'll just give you one. I remember sitting in large meeting, 1,500 people every day where my wife and I and my sister went to Christ for the Nations Institute. And I remember we always have guest speakers. And there was one guy, I won't mention his name, to protect the guilty. And we had, a, we had about 25 or 30 uh, deaf people in the school all the time. We catered to deaf and sign language, etc. And I remember he looked at them all and he said, after the service, I'm going to pray for all you deaf and you're all going to hear. Okay. He didn't even pray. I think he forgot and he walked away and he left when he was done doing whatever the nuthead was doing. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, let's go to the other one. <laughs> About ready to go home, huh? All right. So, all right. The non-cessationist basic outline argument is that they would say there seems to be a continuity between Jesus' preaching of the gospel and his ministry and what's happening that somehow has to flow into. The church. So, in, for instance, in Luke chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. So, preaching the kingdom of God, which we do in the church, comes with, or at least maybe, charged with, heal the sick. Matthew 24, verse 14, he says, The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come well that hasn't come yet we're still preaching the gospel of the kingdom in John 14:12 Jesus says truly truly I say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the father he said, whoever believes there. He didn't say, just my 12 or 20 or apostles. He said, whoever believes. Okay. Second argument would be when you do read the book of Acts, it's not only the apostles 
through whom signs or wonders or healings or miracles are worked. For instance, there's two deacons, probably deacons, but they're clearly not apostles, and they're there to do deacon work, service work, Stephen and Philip. So we read in chapter 6 of Acts, quote, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. In Acts 8, Verse 6, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. He's not an apostle. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. You know, you read Acts, you got, okay, you got to, I'm just saying it's just, okay, you can laugh a little bit, but in a you know, different kind of a culture, you had some young teenage or young women, Apostle Paul comes by and they prophesy to him. Oh, you know, watch it. And then everywhere Paul's going, there are Christians. And the, and the text says, according to Luke, the Holy Spirit impressed upon them to say to Paul, this is what's going to happen to you if you go there. Okay. These non-apostles. You turn to Galatians chapter 3, in verse 5, Paul, writing to the churches of Galatia, a bunch of them in different cities, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by the works of the law, or by the hearing with faith. Now, Paul writes, does he who is supplying and working, in the Greek those are two participles, they are present tense participles, that has this emphasis of does he who is presently and ongoingly doing these things, working miracles among you. And Paul does not mean when I was there, because Paul is writing from Antioch. He is hundreds, for us that's like 12,000 miles away in the airplane age. He is hundreds of miles away from these churches while he's writing this. He seems to assume that God the Holy Spirit is working miracles among them through their faith. Okay? Well, which side do you fall on? Okay, so... Uh, hmm. I just got to say, it's this this issue. I, I already said I would say it again. It's not a division issue. It's not an issue for Christians to divide and separate. Over. We can disagree over it. We can say, "No, I don't really want to do church." That's true, but it's not a division issue. So let me just say, I am not a cessationist. And it's not because I don't believe in many of the cessationist arguments. Actually, I do. Especially the observation in the Bible that the kinds, the extent of the signs and wonders happening through the distinct persons called the apostles, that that is categorically different than anything else from all the rest of us. I totally agree with them. Then why am I a cessationist? 
And the more I think about it, I've been thinking about it for years, it, it's, it's this issue. 1 Corinthians 12. So let's turn there, our text where we started. I'm going to start reading with verse 7. And Paul is writing to Christians in Corinth. That means he's writing to 16-year-old girls. He's writing to slaves. He's writing to masters of slaves. He's writing to old people, young people. He's writing to normal, messed up people like all of we are. Okay, This is who he's writing to. Let's pick up verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, by an, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So Paul seems to be assuming right here, right, that this dynamic of what, whatever these things are that he's naming are happening amongst the people. That, that's what the church is, the group, the gathering of the people. Somehow these things are happening, right? So, so he goes on, verse 11. All these are empowered by the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He, the Holy Spirit, wills. Okay. Now jump down to the end of chapter 12. Pick up at verse 27. Now you are, as a whole, Corinth, the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then, miracles. Then, gifts of healing. Helping. Administrating. And various kinds of tongues. Okay. So Paul is saying, yes, the unique office of apostle and then these other giftings, and clearly he does not mean that these giftings are only giftings of the apostles. The entire context that he's in there is the context. Can the ear say to the eye, I don't need you? Can the toe say to the hand, I don't need you? The point is, no, God makes us different. He gives us, gives us different. We all have parts to play. And he's speaking to the church. There is a whole. So, Joe, why are you not a cessationist? The reason I am not is because Paul taught that these gifts should be expected. Now, whether I understand what these gifts are, whether I have ever experienced any of these gifts in my life is not the issue at this point at all. The issue is, he taught it. And, you've got to catch me, okay? Catch me here. Because what, what right now, I am. I am in a sense saying, look at me. I'm just going to explain me to you right now with the Bible, okay? doesn't make it right. I'm just explaining. He taught it. 
And unless someone can show me that yes, it's true. Paul affirmed those operations, giftings, manifestations of the Spirit working in persons, to persons, that he's listing in First Corinthians. They, they were happening in the 50s, at least, when this letter was written of the first century. But there is good biblical reason to not expect that they are happening today. Unless someone shows me that, I can't be a cessationist. See, this is, this is part of what it is for us to be in this present age. Before the glorious age to come. Broken. We'll see in a minute. Only seeing things dimly. Oh, it's possible for those of us who really want to be sticklers for the text of Scripture and work hard and still not even see our own presuppositions or we read something into it. Oh, how I've done that. Okay. So let me just so let me give you a little feel what I mean here. I am very aware that there are wonderful brothers. Sisters in the Lord who believe and teach that we should baptize infants. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying, okay. I don't believe that because I, I, I've, what, I've listened to them, I've read them, and I'm not convinced. What am I going to do? I, okay, I, and strong, but who I look to in all kinds of other doctrines who love the Lord and teach me. But I, okay, I, I look at that issue. I read. I'm trying to hear your arguments, and oh, I'm a believer's baptism person still. Maybe I'll fall next week. I don't. Know, but I haven't fallen. Okay. Oh, it's the same thing with this issue. They're very, very bright, smart, godly brothers in the Lord who are cessationists. And they have their arguments. So let's go there. 1 Corinthians 13. And I read them. So let, me, uh, let me start. I'm going to start reading 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, so here now, from this text, most of the cessationists who I think have a valid, strong argument, and you've got to wrestle with it, this is what they're saying about what we just read here. Okay, here's, here's the basic argument. Do you see the phrase in verse 10? When the perfect comes. Cessationists understand that word perfect there to be something that's coming prior to the second coming of Christ. Got that? Okay. Jesus is going to come back when they wrap everything up. Okay? 
This, when the perfect comes, is referring to something that is before. It's not the second coming, it's something before the second coming of Christ. And then there's two arguments that come out. The first is essentially this. When Paul says, the perfect comes there in verse 10, that word translated perfect is the word teleos in Greek, which Paul uses two other times in this very letter, okay, to mean not really like perfect as in flawless, but to mean mature. For instance, in 14, chapter 14, verse 20, he writes, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be teleos, mature. And that's a good translation, mature there. Because Paul doesn't mean be perfect, flawless. He means grow up in your thinking. In chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verse 6, he writes, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Okay, teleos, same word. Now, clearly he doesn't mean among those who are perfect, have no sin, no flaw. Okay, he means a maturity, a growth there. And so the argument then goes like this. Yes, these gifts, prophecy, tongues, speaking in tongues, miracles, th- these things are happening during this time until the perfect comes no, the maturity okay got it comes the maturity of the church and for some that they would argue it this way meaning when the fullness of the gentiles in the gentile mission come in and there is a transition in church history where it's purely jewish starting to get mixed got it and then in a sense it becomes mainly gentile when the age of the gentile so when that happens which which has pretty much been completed by the end of the first century that fullness of maturity it's come and thus, these gifts pass away, cease, or no more need. Okay? All right. So th- that's, that's one of the, the arguments. Others argue, still something prior to the second coming, but say, yes, Paul says here, prophecy, gifts, and knowledge, tongues, they do exist, but they're going to pass away. When? Well, the text says, when the perfect comes. Referring to the canon of the New Testament. Or not when it was canonized, but the writings of Paul and Peter. And and when they pass on the scene, they're done. They can't write anymore. So the New Testament, when it becomes the New Testament, and the Word of God laid and given to us through His apostles, as I've talked about in week two very clearly, uh, when that is done and completed, which is done by the end of the first century, the perfect, the Word of God has come. Therefore, there's no more need for the partial revelations like prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. They now pass away because the perfect, the New Testament, has come. Now, here's how they will basically argue for it. You see verse 9 in chapter 13? For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, you've got to hear clearly, because if you don't hear, you got to, this, what I'm going to say now, is core to at least understand what I mean by 
and why I am not a cessationist. You've got to hear it clearly. And this is where the real difference, I think, in, in trying to wrestle with this issue and hear those on the other side, this is where the real difference lay. They understand prophecy, speakings or words or utterances or of not just logos of knowledge, the words of knowledge, etc. Those gifts here laid out in chapter 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. They understand those to be or to mean revelation. I mean, I don't mean, let me, this word revelation, stop for a minute. We all, all Christians, cessationists, non-cessationists, believe God works in us. Okay, We all believe, yeah, how can you, you could be reading your Bible, and God, and for some reason, God by the Holy Spirit just impresses upon you your sin. Of course, we all believe that. Okay, that's not a revelation in the sense I'm using it, or the sense that they would use that either. We don't, by revelation, we mean God revealing information, knowledge, doctrine, truth to the world through Moses, or Jeremiah, or Paul. Okay? Are you with me? But it seems as though, when I read them, they're, they're understanding the, the gifts of prophecy and or interpretation of tongues, or knowledge to be revelation from God. Doctrine coming in some sense through those little old lady in Corinth or something. I don't Okay, and so it is happening in part during this period of the first century when Paul's writing. That's happening at that time until what? The perfect comes. Or until the foundation of the church is finally completed, done. What we call the New Testament Scripture now. Now, this is, now watch, this is really, this, pay attention so you respect the argument. If it's true that prophecy, interpretation of tongues, Gift of the word of knowledge are revelation in that sense. Jeremiah got revelation. Moses got revelation. Paul gets revelation. And oh, little Miss Smith gets revelation. These are all the same thing, revelation of God in that way. And they're happening, and Paul says here, in part. They're portions. If that's true, portions of revelation, then when the perfect comes, it makes all the sense in the world. Then when the perfect comes, I mean the perfect revelation, which is the New Testament, which is the writings of the apostle. Make sense? So, that's the basic arguments for why they say the New Testament gives me reason to believe that these gifts are no longer in operation. The perfect has come, and therefore they've passed away, they're no more. Now, I'm going to give my brothers in Christ the benefit of the doubt. Just like I would hope they would give me the benefit of the doubt, and that is this, that we both desire to be Bible people. We desire to our utmost not to want to read into the text of Scripture a meaning that the author did not intend by the words he's writing. Oh, I hate it when I find out I do that. Okay, it doesn't mean I'm not wrong, but we want to try to go at it. Okay, I give them the benefit of that, that doubt. I believe it. Okay, so now having said that, 
I think those who argue the way that I just showed you their argument, I th- think this was going to, they are making an assumption, a really big assumption that I don't make. They might be right, and so then I'm wrong. Or vice versa, or some other viewers wrong. But I don't make this big assumption, and that is this, that prophecy, verbal gifts operating in the church here in Corinth are on the same level of revelation. I don't think they were ever, this is my understanding, okay, and this is why this is where the real big difference is. I do not think a word of prophecy that is a genuine word of prophecy means that it is an infallible, inerrant delivery of God's word, like Romans, or Moses, or Peter, okay? I just don't, I don't think, maybe wrong, but I'm just here, you got to hear me. That's what, I don't think that they assume that. That's the big difference. So let me be clear. If, I thought that these gifts, particularly the verbal ones and the wisdom and the information and the interpretation of a heavenly language and uh, a prophecy, etc. If I thought those giftings operating in the body of Christ were on a par with scriptural revelation, I would be a cessationist. Okay? Okay, so then what what do I think Paul's saying then when he says these things will pass? Here we go. He does say very clearly in the text, there is a time where these gifts, he he could have named them all, but he he shows knowledge and prophecy and tongues. There's a time when these gifts will pass away. They will stop being used. There will be no need for them anymore. Now, here's a question in the text. When is that time? Well, his answer is, when the perfect time comes, which I think means the second coming. The resurrection of the dead. Sin is wiped out and it's gone. Now, this is how I get there. Okay? See what says chapter 13? Everyone knows chapter 13, the love chapter, right? Well, chapter 13 isn't there by accident. And really, there's a large, Paul's got a number of units of thought in 1 Corinthians dealing with different issues. And this issue, which began in chapter 12, verse 1, remember, he said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. That's what he's talking about from there all the way through 12, 13, and 14. It's one unit. So, chapter 13 is right where it is, very purposefully by Paul. Because the Corinthians as a whole are being selfish, unloving, and insensitive to one another in their gatherings. And Paul is arguing that these gifts are meant to be used as tools of love. But you're missing it, Corinthians. You're misusing the tools in your unloving, insensitive behavior toward one another. And he's arguing to the extent, I got this gift, I got that gift, I'm a really good teacher, I got the gift of teaching, I got the gift of helping, I got the gift of administrating, I got the gift of prophecy, I got the gift of speaking in tongues. To the extent you think you have any gift, and your motive in using it is not loving the other person or people's, then just stop it. Put the tool away. This is his point here. Okay, calm down, Joe. (laughs) Isn't this his point? You know how 13 starts, right? 
if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I can have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away, I got the gift of giving. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. That's why Paul says in verse 8, Love never ends. Okay, here's, you just got to follow me. This is his point. Loving others. Love is in a radically different category than giftings. You see that? Love never ends. Why is this? Because love is a fruit. It's not only the fruit, it's the fruit. Love is the fruit of a genuine Christian. Love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit operating in them towards others. Giftings are not fruit. They're abilities. God can use a donkey. Ask Balaam. They're utterly different categories. And that's why he says in verse 8, Love never, ever will end. When you die, you won't stop loving. When you die and you're in disembodied state, like Paul is right now, awaiting the resurrection of Christ, yearning, oh, then the resurrection will come. You won't Stop loving. The command of love will not cease in the ability to do it then unhinderedly <laughs> will be your joy. Love never ends. It's very unlike gifts. They will end. There will be a time where these things in that future state are no longer needed. That's what he says. Read verse 8 together again. Love never ends. Totally different category. As for prophecies, they'll end. They'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Your point, Paul. His point is think about how to love others with your gifts. With your gift of teaching, with your gift of prophecy. If you can teach, if you, if you have just the most marvelous gift of teaching, is Paul's point. But you really can't stand those people. Why don't you just shut your mouth? If you, if you feel God uses you, it's amazing how God, I pray, and I get this impression. Like, man, should I, should I go with that person and just say, 
can I pray for you or say that? And, and you do that, and that person just feels utterly impacted because of the way you prayed or something you said. Okay, if you have that, but, oh, and you like to use that, and you really, you know, I don't like the gift, and you really don't love the person, just move away. Just, just kind of leave it alone. This is what Paul is getting at. Love and gifts are in radically different categories. Love is unending. The gifts, they all end. So put them in their place and let love dictate how you use your gifts. Okay, so that's what I think he's saying at this point. Now follow me here. All right? Now as Paul moves to the main text that we're considering in this debate here, the question is this. Now, Paul... What do you mean love and gifts are in totally different categories? Okay, this way, that's what I think he's going to, it's what he's doing. It's what I'm understanding him to be saying. Now, verse 9, he starts to answer. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Okay, there's something different about the perfect coming and thus this partial imperfect thing called prophecy. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, gift of the word of knowledge. Okay? He seems to see, he, he, he seems to see they're very different than perfect. When the perfect comes, when clarity of knowledge comes, there will be no more need for that gift of the word of it's that kind of dynamic. There will be no more need at that time, whenever this time is at the moment, when that time comes, there will be no more need for the imperfect, partial, fuzzy, blurry understandings, ministries ones to another through fuzzy, blurry, broken other people. Okay? But there is a future age that's going to come. Or we're raised from the dead and there's no more sin. There's no more blurriness. There's no more hindrances. There's no more heart issues towards Christ every day in our lives and hardness and towards other people and battles and struggles like we have. Now that will end. We will be free. But that age is not yet. Love is eternal. It's operating now and it will operate forever. Unhinderedly then. But now, we're not there. And so gifts, ministries one to another in the body of Christ are needed in this temporal age. When it ends, so will the gifts. Alright, so let's go back again. See if, verse 10 and see why I am saying that this text not only does not teach that the gifts have already ceased, but that it's an argument for why even us in the state of our lives in this broken world now really need to seek the gifts and use them as tools of love. Verse 10, Paul writes, When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Okay? Now, it's clear, isn't it? The partial refers, in the context, to these giftings. Okay? Go on. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, here's my argument. That that what we just read there in verse 12 is referring to final salvation, to the resurrection, to being released from all of our sinfulness, our fuzziness, our mirrors in the morning because of the shower, it's all foggy. And then, okay, I can see, you can see, you can't, okay, it's useful, but boy, it's unclear. We just get glimpses. We get distortions. We see nothing now clearly. None of you even hear this sermon clearly. You have a mirror called your mind, called your hearts, called your family of origin, called your cultures. I'm speaking words. You're hearing sometimes words in a way because you used them in a way that I haven't used and you haven't listened carefully. And I do this. We, this is the state of our lives. We're sinful. We have hearts that are really on fire for Christ. And then the next three hours later, boy, it's hardened and sinful. Nothing is seen clear. It's all a fuzzy mirror coming through others, teaching the perfect, glorious Word of God with an imperfect mind, an imperfect language. i got to work in an imperfect way. And it's coming to fuzzy minds, deteriorating brains, calloused hearts. Welcome to Christianity. And the Holy Spirit is very loving. That's what Paul's saying. He distributes in the midst of this brokenness through and in broken people to other broken, sinful people on their way to the celestial city. He distributes abilities, gifts, various ways. And Here's the thing on this. The, the issue. Let me. I, I, okay, here goes Joe. It's going to be a two hour sermon if I keep doing this. The issue is not that. Look at that. The non cessationist, they operate in all these gifts, and cessationists don't. Baloney. It's just as lots of times they might not operate in fully in this or that, but it is. Okay. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks. But non-cessation, it is amazing how little old, 83-year-old, who is in a church of non-cessationism, she'll look back, oh, that's what that thing was? I thought those passed away. But it was amazing how she would just look, I pray for you. <laughs> Words would come out of her mouth and it'd blow people away. And she doesn't even know it, maybe. But they know it as they went home and cried. God operates, even if you're a non-cessationist, by the Holy Spirit blessing other people if you're walking with Christ, if you're pursuing Christ. That's what he's doing now. But it will be very different then in the resurrection. It's a key theological word. Did you know that? The word then. 
T-H-E-N. Paul uses that word twice in verse 12. Look at it. For now we see, this time now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now we know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, so here, at least be good exegetes here. Then is a future something, okay? We all agree on that. Then is future. Okay, so what is then pointing to? That's the question of the text. Paul did not start the paragraph with the word then. If he did, then it would make no sense. So there's something else that came before in the paragraph that the two thens are referring back to. And what are they? Verse 10. When the perfect comes. Because I should put them together. When the perfect comes, then we will see faith. When that perfect comes, then I will know fully, even as I have been, I don't know what else he can mean other than God, fully know. Then we will drop all of these hindrances limitations, fuzzy mirrors of our hearts and of our minds, and we will see clearly like we never have seen before. But until then, we see in a mirror dimly, and there are these fuzzy, imperfect giftings that operate and work in differing measures and in differing degrees through people. Just to be clear, I'm going to say everything I said again in 20 seconds by paraphrasing what I understand Paul to be saying here in 1 Corinthians 13. Here we go. When the perfect comes, that is, when Christ returns, we put off these mortal hindrances of the present life. Then, when that happens, the imperfect knowing of tongues and words of knowledge and prophecy will pass away because there will be no more need for them because we will see and know so clearly and so fully. But, and now here's Paul's main argument here, but for love's sake now, seek spiritual gifts in order to be a blessing and to love other people better. And that's how the, it's going to flow in Paul's context. Now, just one more. You just go back to the very beginning of this letter of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. The very beginning of the letter. The very beginning of the body of the letter. Paul writes, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Now listen to him that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech. Okay, I'm going to argue that, because of the letter in the context, that 
What are you talking about, Paul? Speech. Speaking gifts. That you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Knowledge gifts. Now watch this. See if it's not true. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift that he's going to go into in chapter 12. You're not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The revealing of Jesus Christ. Seems to be saying that those spiritual gifts, speaking, knowledge, gifts, are until the revealing of Jesus Christ. Finally, verse 8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's where I come down on that in-house issue and why I come down there. So before, as I close, I just want to make a couple comments. First say this, one place I deeply agree with my cessationist brothers is this, that there is clearly a massive difference between Jesus' ministry and miracle working and healing and the apostles' ministries in miracle workings and healings and gifting. There is a massive difference between them. It was unprecedented. It was unique to its power, its ability, and its extent with everybody else coming down the line. They're utterly different categories. I do not expect to see these giftings in persons like Paul had. It was so strong they took handkerchiefs and laid them on his body and brought them to people and they got healed. Oh, that makes a lot of money on TV. I don't expect what is going on in the apostles' ministry to be going on through ministries today in the church. Don't ever blur the difference between who Paul was, who Peter was, who John was, and all the rest of us down the line. They were apostles with a unique ministry, a unique office as revelatory spokespersons with the signs and the wonders that came with them as authentication for the ministry. And therefore, whatever signs and wonders and miracles and healings and speaking gifts mean for the rest of us is something categorically different. God used them for His main goal of testifying and ultimately giving us the Word of God. And I made this clear in week two of this series. I mean the written Word of God through the prophets and the apostles. It is, there's nothing that comes close to comparison with any speaking gift now. And as I said then, because Peter himself said it, even if God himself actually speaks audibly to you, 
He is giving you a more clear, sure, solid word through which everything is to be measured. So, here's my one plea. Having said what I said, flee from nuts. And there are lots of so-called nuts concerning giftings and healings in the church. Flee from anyone who seems to come off in any way as if they're like a Paul or a Peter. I'm an apostle with this authority that exists in my person instead of the authority that exists in the Word of God as they point you to them. Flee from such. Second, I want to say this. We stand, therefore, upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Upon the foundation of the revelation of God of what we need to know. It's been fully given and complete and closed since the first century. The Hebrew Old Testament, the Greek New Testament. And therefore, resting on that foundation, seek to better love other people by being used of the Holy Spirit with giftings, movings, and operations. And therefore, knowing this, (laughs) that the Holy Spirit will never, ever give you a new bit of theological information about truth. Never, never heard that before. It's new. He'll never do it. He'll never say, God says this is what I'm doing new in the earth. These are His new changed purposes for this time. That is not one of these gifts of the Holy Spirit operating. That is what we call garbage. Prophecy is this gift of stands upon the Word of God. It's not this new revelation about who God is and what man is and what salvation is. It just happens it happens to people, you know, you know what happens sometimes. Why did you really have a burden to pray? And you did. And you prayed in ways. You didn't even know what you were going to pray, and it came out of your mouth. You ever had that happen to you? you got, no? No one's ever had that happen to you? Did anyone ever pray for you? Okay, well, wow, this is really like. Okay. Serves it? Okay, we got, we got yeah. You think, wow, that was really special. Brought you to tears. Okay. Prophecy is for encouraging and building up, and God does that. So, closing. Seek. I got, I've taught this whole time, what, three hours? Okay, now here, here, here's, here, here's, here's, a, here's a sermon. Here's the application. Seek the gifts. And we're going to get there. There might be three million of them instead of just the, I don't know, whatever. Just, here's the point. Seek gifts, seek abilities, whatever. God, how can I love better? How can I be more of a blessing to them? And as we want the Holy Spirit to bear the fruit of love in us and through us to other people, then we will more readily be able to obey the Apostle Paul when he said in 1 Thessalonians, do not quench the Spirit. And do not despise prophecies. But test 
everything and hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. Stunning, isn't it? Trust me, Paul never says, read Moses or read me, Paul, and then test it. Throw out what's bad. He doesn't do that. He did that with prophecy. Okay, It's not the same thing. Test everything by the Word of God. For love's sake, be desperate to be used by the Holy Spirit in His various manifold ways. Because it's not about you. It's about Him wanting to love and minister to another person at that moment through you. And He's really good. He will use other people to do that to you. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank You for Your manifold ways of loving us through each of us. May we leave here today with a newfound hope of loving others better in any ways You so seem fit for us to do. In Jesus' name.